This is Taiwan Plus on ICRT, your connection to stories that matter. Brought to you by the news team at TaiwanPlus.com. Welcome to Taiwan Plus News. I'm Inka Vat. Let's start with some news headlines from Taiwan and around the world. Taiwan is introducing more measures to deal with its ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. With over 36,000 new domestic cases today, the government is changing its procedure on positive test results. And as Eric Gao reports, much of the country now will have access to oral COVID medication. Boxes of the drug Paxlovid are being distributed around the country. Taiwan has ordered 20,000 courses of the oral COVID-19 treatment, which helps prevent infections from becoming severe. With cases rising by tens of thousands each day, counterfeits of the medication have started appearing online. Authorities warn these knockoffs are dangerous. To further ease the strain on the health system, the government is introducing new testing rules. Starting next Thursday, most patients who test positive using a rapid COVID-19 test no longer need to confirm the result with a PCR test. Taiwan celebrates Mother's Day this weekend, and with family gatherings planned, authorities warn the number of cases could spike, potentially breaching the 100,000 mark next week. Patrick Chen and Eric Gao for Taiwan Plus. The World Health Organization says nearly 15 million people died because of COVID-19 over a two-year period. What we released today is a staggering number of 14.9 million excess deaths since the start of the pandemic from January 2020 to December 2021. Excess deaths include people who died of COVID-19 and those who died indirectly because of its impact on health systems and society. The official death toll, which consists of numbers reported to the health body, is much lower at just 5.4 million. The WHO said most excess deaths were concentrated in Southeast Asia, Europe and the Americas. Team Taiwan is showing its stuff at this year's Deaf Olympics. It's just walked away with another medal this time, a silver. Taiwan now has bagged three medals in the global games for the hearing impaired, which runs until mid-May. John Van Trieste has the details. Taiwan is flying the flag high at this year's Deaf Olympics. This time, the country bagged a silver in the women's 10-meter air pistol event. It's the third medal Taiwan has won so far in these games, after bronzes in karate and badminton. Gao Yaru says she went into the finals determined to get on the winner's podium. Ukrainian Ina Afonchenko took the gold in the event. The Eastern European country has so far dominated this year's games, despite being at war due to Russia's invasion. According to the latest medal table, Ukraine had 46 medals. That's far ahead of second place Team USA, which had just 20. Gold or silver, Gao's coach couldn't be prouder. This year's games, held in the Brazilian city of Caxias do Sul, run until May 15th. Like the Olympics, Taiwan is officially participating under the name Chinese Taipei. Taiwan has sent 39 athletes to compete in eight sports. The team hopes to surpass the record medal haul of 17 they captured in the last games five years ago. Klein Wong and John Van Trieste for Taiwan Plus.
The Philippines decides their next president on Monday, with the namesake son of former dictator Ferdinand Marcos leading the polls. The vote could have profound influence on Manila's foreign policy with the country's relations with China, a key point of contention. Our reporter, James Chater, has more. When firebrand Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte swept to power in 2016, he promised an overhaul of the country's foreign policy. For Duterte, that meant shaking off its former colonizer and longtime military ally in Washington and shaking hands with Beijing, despite a China-skeptic Philippine public. The way he sold it to the broader public, who is pro-American and anti-China, was twofold. One, this would be a better way to secure Philippine interests in the South China Sea. And two, China would give him a lot of money for it. And neither of those things happened. Six years on, China has surpassed Japan as the Philippines' biggest trading partner and is by far Manila's largest source of imported goods. But rosy economic figures belie Filipinos' simmering frustration toward China. Billion-dollar infrastructure projects promised by Beijing when Duterte came into power haven't materialized, and an influx of Chinese business people have priced locals out of the property market. All that poses a problem for the man currently bidding to be Duterte's successor, the namesake son of the former dictator, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. Duterte's party has backed Marcos Jr. in the upcoming election. His daughter Sara is Marcos's running mate for vice president. And that association has left some fearful Marcos too will be soft on China. 2016 was a watershed moment for the two sides. That year, The Hague rules China's claim to waters within this so-called nine-dash line had no legal basis. Beijing lays claim to two-thirds of the South China Sea, through which 60% of global maritime trade passes. Filipinos now call this the West Philippine Sea. China rejected The Hague's decision, and since then, so-called Chinese maritime militia have hounded Philippine fishing boats in disputed waters. Anti-China protests are held on the anniversary of The Hague's ruling. Analysts say Beijing's intransigence on the issue has deeply damaged its reputation. With just days till the election, Marcos Jr. is polling far ahead. That's despite strong grassroots support for leader of the opposition and current vice president Lenny Robredo, a human rights lawyer who's seen as having a tougher stance on China. Regardless of the candidate's position on maritime disputes with China, the winner of the May 9th election will need to balance between the country's largest trading partner in Beijing and traditional security ally in Washington. A dilemma increasingly faced by leaders across the region. Alex Chen and James Chater for Taiwan Plus. It's been the most tumultuous tenure of any leader in Hong Kong since the city transformed from a British colony to a special administrative region of China in 1997. Carrie Lam governed over the pandemic, violent mass protests and the imposition of a wide-ranging national security law. This weekend, her successor will be named. Ryan Hokilpatrick takes a look back at her contentious legacy. Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam will leave Government House for the last time next month, calling curtains on a five-year term that has turned Hong Kong upside down. When she first assumed the territory's top job in 2017, she was welcomed as a peacemaker. 
The city's first female leader was seen as someone who could help heal the city after shattered hopes of democracy led to the sustained protests in 2014 known as the Umbrella Movement. But the simmering tensions didn't cool off under her reign. They exploded. It all began in mid-2019 when Lamb proposed a bill that would allow criminal suspects to be extradited to Communist Party-run courts in mainland China. Carrie Lamb pushed this uh, legislation through LegCo in spite of massive protests and also in spite of opposition, very considerable opposition, from the traditional supporters of the government. As this opposition mounted, Lamb only became more determined to pass the bill. In June 2019, two million people, about a quarter of Hong Kong's population, took to the streets against the extradition bill. Activists say Carrie Lam responded by pushing harder to pass the bill, in turn pushing citizens to the brink. They decided to close down all the political avenues for the pro-democracy camp to be involved in the system, be involved in daily politics, and then to basically silence us. At, at that moment, um, a lot of people, not only for us, but for more moderate Democrats, they are they were feeling that um, uh, the, the room for positive negotiation, a positive interchange with uh, the Beijing government was dwindling. And up to a point when um, the, the 2019 protests took place, uh, we all realized that the room is basically minimized, that there's no meaningful interaction anymore. And Hong Kong people were so angry about it and they started to resist. Lam eventually backed down, and in July 2019, she announced the extradition bill was dead. But it was too late. It had ignited the undercurrent of discontent with Hong Kong's government and Beijing's tightening grip. I personally have to shoulder much of the responsibility. Demonstrations turned violent as protesters began targeting property associated with the government. And Lam's administration leaned on the police to resolve tensions by force. The government insisted that a silent majority of Hong Kongers supported them. But elections in November of that year saw pro-democracy candidates take over 90% of local councils. It was the biggest landslide in Hong Kong's electoral history. If you look at the track record of Chinese Communist Party at selecting our leaders, it has not been particularly good. So we had a tycoon, uh, Mr. Tong, who left um, in the middle of his second term. And then we had an administrative officer, Donald John, who ended up going to jail for uh, misconduct in public office. Then we had someone with another business background, C.Y. Leung, a professional with strong links to the party in Hong Kong, who left after one term and left the left the, the city very badly divided. And then, of course, we have Carrie Lam. The protest was subdued by the onset of the pandemic in early 2020, but anger and tensions simmered, and support for Hong Kong's pro-democracy camp was unabated. And as dissent grew louder and demonstrators threatened to take to the streets again, the crisis would be extinguished only by a strict new law, direct from Beijing. In her last two years in office, hundreds of political prisoners have been jailed under this national security law, once a promised land for those fleeing persecution. Lam has presided as Hong Kong transformed from one of the world's freest cities to one where critics are persecuted and dissent is silenced. In the quarter of a century since Hong Kong was returned to Chinese rule, its chief executives have been remembered less for their accomplishments than for the political crises they weathered. Having overseen the city's most widespread upheaval, its harshest political crackdown, and a global pandemic in which Hong Kong's death rate topped the world, 
Lamb's time at the helm looks set to go down as the most unforgettable yet. Ryan Hill Kilpatrick for Taiwan Plus. Thank you for watching Taiwan Plus News. I'm Ian Kavat. For more stories from Taiwan and around the world, please download the Taiwan Plus app. Stay safe and see you next time. Thanks for listening to Taiwan Plus on ICRT. For more great stories from Taiwan and around the world, visit TaiwanPlus.com. Yeah.